Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to Garden Better. I'm gardener and professional horticulturalist Adam Woodhams, and you have arrived at your podcast destination for all things garden and garden lifestyle. Brought to you by Better Homes and Gardens magazine. Right now, we have another special travel episode. It's part two of our Norfolk Island special that I recorded when I was recently on Isle hosting one of my tour groups. In this episode, I have a chat with a local sustainable farmer about food gardening, delve into some heritage plant mysteries, and chat with the chef and owner of my favourite restaurant on Isle, Dino's, all about kitchen gardens and not food miles, food meters. So settle back and enjoy another trip to the South Pacific subtropical paradise that is Norfolk Island. The vast bulk of the fresh produce consumed on Norfolk Island is grown on Norfolk Island, from home gardens to restaurant and cafe chef's gardens. And then of course there's the commercial side. One of the island's largest vegetable growers has transitioned from conventional farming techniques to sustainable and organic farming. I thought I'd find out a bit more about this story myself, so I caught up with Matt Big from Big Fresh Farms at the Norfolk Island Saturday Morning Farmers Market. Matt, we've just left the markets and I have to say you had a fantastic load of fruit and veg on the back of your ute. It looked awesome. Yeah, Adam, it's great to see you again, mate, on Ireland. And uh, the, the markets are always quite a good way to display what we grow on the farms here. Now, your family farm, give us a little overview of what it is that you grow on the farm and who you provide to. We provide a lot of fresh food for the community, a lot of fresh food for the restaurant trade and the uh, tourism industry here. The way we started was basically turning a hobby into a business. We've always farmed on our land. We've always provided for ourselves sustainably and on a self-sufficient type situation. So we basically thought, oh, well, I could probably do this for a living because we enjoyed growing our own food so much. Mm. Well, that's the interesting thing on the island. There's naturally a high level of sustainability and it's taken me a few visits. The, the penny finally dropped. It's actually sustainability that's grown out of subsistence. Basically, the island people were subsistence farmers and that if you had a surplus, you shared it. So what you're doing is, in fact, you've expanded the farm and then turned that into a commercial venture. Well, it's all about sharing. It's all about sharing what you've got and that's in our culture very mm. strong in our culture, very prevalent. Just by default, Norfolk is a sustainable environment. Mm. And we as Norfolk Islanders who have lived here for all those years since 1856, moving here from Pitcairn and then coming to Norfolk since 1856, this is the way we have had to live. It's not tradition, it's survival, mm. Mm. you know? So we've had to provide for ourselves and we've continued that through our families and it's now passed down as generation to generation and now this is where we get this from. Mm. 
And your farm that you're farming on now, has that been in the family for a number of years or is that a reasonably recent acquisition? It's a, it's a reasonably uh, recent acquisition. It was my parents' place, but we actually purchased the farm off my parents. It's not a portion of the family lands that were granted to my ancestors. Those portions of land are actually across the road from me. But the uh, farm has always been farmed in mm. the past, you know, growing sweet potato, growing beans, growing things like that. But I also farm a number of other properties on the island as well, Adam. Mm, mm, yeah, I've, I've visited a couple of the others with you and tasted some of the most amazing carrots I've ever had in my entire life. Yeah. Now, what sort of uh, size do you have under crop in across all your different properties that you're working? It's really hard to put a measurement uh, on that. We farm a property that's probably about uh, two and a half acres on that particular property is all our indoor growing facilities. We've recently share farming piece of land at uh, Headstone over where the, the Norfolk blue cattle graze. We grow a lot of potatoes out there. I also lease a, another property at Steels Point, which is a very fertile part of the island, and that property is called Simon's Water. I've uh, lease a bit of land there. So I, I guess you could probably say we've got between 15 to 20 acres under cultivation, mm. I reckon. And what, what are your main crops that you're actually growing? Well, as I said, we've just branched out into potatoes. So we've got a, you know, probably an acre and a half under cultivation. We've plant a few tonne and might turn that into 20 or 30 tonne of potatoes for the island, which is a staple. You know, we we want to do this because we, we don't want to see the having to import so much of mm. these things, you know, and, and what we can grow here is a better product because mm. it's growing on the land where you live. Yeah, that's the best case scenario, isn't it? It's, it's food meters, not food hundreds of kilometers as, as has to be if food's coming in from somewhere else. Oh, it, for sure. It's for not sure. just put it on a truck, it has to be on an airplane or a boat and come that way. Now, you mentioned sustainability has always been a foundation stone of what you do, but the big thing is that you transition towards organic farming and nutrient farming really is what it comes down to, isn't it? To look for achieving higher levels of nutrient density in your food. Now. How long ago did you make that transition towards those sort of farming techniques? Just by default, Norfolk has been uh, sustainable. And a few years ago, we were had the pleasure of a visit from a gentleman by the name of Graham Sait. Yes, I've, I've interviewed Graham on the show. <laughs> yeah, so Graham was brought here by my brother Simon, and Simon is a greenkeeper here, and he wanted a better way to look after his greens. So you don't have as much chemical inputs into yeah. looking after your greens. So he saw this opportunity to, to, and he was introduced to this style of agriculture and, and looking after big areas like this. So he brought Graham over to teach the methods of biological and nutrition farming. So we were very lucky to be able to do one of his four day courses on sustainable agriculture. Basically what that did for me was it taught me the science of what I was already doing. Mm. But it also taught me about the inputs that plants need and just sort of made it all really, really clear that it's not only what's above the soil, the most important part is what's underneath the soil. It's about looking for that and looking after that and feeding those organisms under your soil. It seems to be forgotten, yet so simple, that the soil is the foundation of everything that you're growing. And if you're growing on weak foundations, you're not going to get a quality plant out the top of it. When you made this move, being a tight-knit community, everybody tends to know what everyone else is doing. Did that meet a lot of resistance to be transitioning towards that organic and that nutrient farming? Was there many people in the community that sort of stood on the other side of the fence and said, 
it's not going to work, Matt. <laughs> well, not really, um, because I, you know, I said everybody sort of farms. We we, we don't have mega farms here. We mm. just sort of have backyard growers, and we have growers that grow a little bit more acreage. And uh, there are other growers of, of mice the size that I'm growing at. And you know, alongside with us, we provide this food. But uh, I'm not going to take all the credit because there's there's guys out there that that are farming quite extensively as well mm. and providing a good product. So yeah, there was not much resistance, but there, you know, there are people who find it hard to change ways that they've been doing for 40 years. In general, it was, it was pretty well received. This is the bit I perhaps find most interesting, that transition. Did you actually find it difficult to go from, let's just call them conventional practices, to those more organic practices? Was it a hard road or was it just you could literally wake up one day and say, yep, that's how we're doing it from now on. No, it's not hard at all because we were already doing it. Graham just taught us the science mm, as to mm. why we do it like that. It was, you know, it's a sort of thing. I don't really want to eat things with systemic sprays and bad chemicals on it. I don't want my family to eat that. So why should another family have to eat it? Now, what have the main benefits been from your perspective? Have there been a lot of different ways that you actually see improvements in your, not just the, the crop outcome, but in the land itself and the way you're managing the land? You get better results, you get consistency. You're not really farming on hope that you'll get a good crop. I mean, th this style of farming always produces for you. I guess it's one of those things, you're looking after Mother Nature, Mother Nature's going to look after you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So you want your yields as high as you can get, but you also want the quality and the taste in the produce as well. So you've got to put in to get out. Yeah, so, so, so there's an old saying that goes, you reap what you sow. Yes, absolutely, yeah. So effectively, rather than trying to force a natural system to do what you want, you're becoming part of that natural system and working with it to achieve the best outcome. That's right. Well, look, Matt, it's been fantastic to catch up. If you want to see what Matt does, then you can find him on Facebook. Just search for BIG, that's B-I-G-G, Fresh Farm Produce. Or if you're on Norfolk, then you'll find him selling fresh from the farm at the farmer's markets every Saturday morning. Thanks, Matt. No worries, Adam. I'm back with living legend Jane Rutledge from Music Valley for a chat about some of these more interesting plants and their backstories. What are you, Jane? I could you, Adam. What are where you? Now, I want to jump straight in with a mystery here. In 1788, when the first fleeters were cutting through vegetation in today's World Heritage listed Arthur's Vale, they came across bananas. Now, these were seedless varieties, so had to have been imported and planted. Who do you reckon planted them? Well, that they say Polynesians brought them here initially before the island was settled by the convicts. So dating back to when and where is still a mystery. Apparently they were down in the World Heritage listed area, which is now the golf course. The Polynesian use of the islands fascinating in itself. Polynesians were very low carbon footprint like the Australian First Nations people. So there was not a lot of real hard evidence to be able to say they were definitely here for 500 or 800 or 2000 years. So it's, it is quite fascinating. Now, those bananas, do we know what variety they were and have any of them ended up still in use today? It could well have been the plantain varieties because, as you know, the Polynesians like to plantains for their cooking. And the older variety here, like in Dad's generation, they talk about the China plum, which is what we know as a Cavendish. So that's 
could have been one of those because it's such a good all-round banana, you know, for cooking green and for uh, eating as a, a eating plum or and banana. And I should just say that plum is plum. the Norfolk word for, for banana. banana. Sorry, I should, <laughs> I, I should have right. told you that. <laughs> and there's some other food plant mysteries too, like the taro. That seems to have been here before the first fleet settlers too. Yeah, well, we call the, the taro tala. And my favourite one here is the one that grows in what we call a drain or creek. So Driantala is the name for it. And that's a really nice one. And it's got a, a purplish colour to it when cook it. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because the colonial sailors, they tended to find islands and they'd do things like they'd drop goats and coconuts there so that if anyone was shipwrecked, they'd be able to stay alive until another ship sailed by. So I guess there's a possibility that's what the Polynesians were doing too. They were leaving Leaving food crops here so that either they had a colony that was being used to provision passing boats or... It was just here as like a kitchen and a a first aid kit for when it was needed for anybody that came ashore. Exactly. Well, things like Tala and the Plun, they would have been easy to get here because you only had to bring the rootstock of it with the banana sucker or just a taro root. And Mm. then you just put it in the ground and off it goes. And the New Zealand flax that grows here that just has those slight differences to the New Zealand variety, that's the same too because the Maori, for instance, use the New Zealand flax for multitude of uses for everything from weaving to creating fabrics to some medicinal uses of the root too I believe. That may well be the original source of that New Zealand flax coming to the island. It probably would have been something like that and it's great that we're still enjoying all these things that those people bought here all those years ago. One of my absolute favourites is that when I was growing up there was a seriously old cranky lemon tree down our backyard. It had thorns about three inches long in the old money. It had these big wrinkly lemons that were useless for anything other than branding someone with. You know, they were absolutely terrible. There was no juice and no flesh in them. And it turns out that those same sort of lemons are here on Norfolk Island and they came from the first fleeters that they picked up some seedlings when they travelled through Rio de Janeiro. They planted them here on the island and they took off and basically went feral. But there's quite a history of use of those lemons here, isn't there? The Norfolk Bush lemon is a fantastic source of fruit for us in the winter time and because they were in abundance and then there was a small industry where the juice was sent out, the seed were used in some of the citrus growing areas, Mildura I think, mm. they used the Norfolk bush lemon as their rootstock to graft onto so because it's such a strong robust tree even the thorns are actually good that you can even pick hehe's out with them <laughs> <laughs> your favorite favorite little uh, yeah, little Norfolk. pippies yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're they're, they're uh, periwinkle so. so so the fact is that if somebody has one of those spiky old lemons growing down their backyard it might actually be the rootstock that was a Norfolk Island first fleet lemon well it could well be <laughs> There were hundreds and hundreds of trees here. There's not as many nowadays, but even up all through the mountain areas, they're they're still growing wild. And there's some wonderful local folk remedies for what you can do with the lemons, aren't there? I think you've told me about what you do with them for a cold. Yeah, Dad's got a pretty good remedy for his uh, bounty day medicine. Lots of lemons in it. (laughs) I won't mention the rum added to it as well. Well, you get your vitamin C though, don't you? Yeah, that's it. That's the important part. That's it. You're a wee bit of a cook. I've had some fabulous food that you've prepared. Have you got some favourite local produce that you like to use and in some different recipes? Probably one of my favourite is a hihi pie and I love mutter. So mutter is green banana or 
Pu'uplan, that's grated or yola, as we say, we yola awas plan, and then cook that up in coconut milk, coconut cream, and cream. And you add desiccated coconut to the plan mixture. So that's pretty yummy. I've tried that and it is absolutely amazing. Yeah. They end up like little dumplings. Like banana dumplings. Yeah, yeah that's the only, yeah. only way to describe it. They're yeah. absolutely, absolutely beautiful. And a Weight Watchers delight, of yeah, course. Of course. All of that yeah, it's good for the heart and the hips. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Now, a little bit of a lesson on Norfolk, because Norfolk does have its own unique language that's derived from a combination of Polynesian and Pidgin English and Old English. And it's a very, very unique and I suppose it's fair to say it's an endangered language. So hit me with some words and phrases here. What's the local name for the lemon? Lemon is the same. We would just say, got one lemon tree out our back. Yeah, there's a lemon, a lemon tree, tree out, out the yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the taro? is Tala yep. or Driantala because there's there's one that grows on land and then the one that grows in water. And then what are a few essential words and phrases that visitors need to know for Norfolk Island? What are some of the classics? Well, someone greeting you, they would say, hey, what to wear you this dear or what to wear yourly, which is you all. And I reply back to that in Norfolk, you can say kushu, which means that you're well, or you can say for I'm good, I good, or if you're not good, I nor are good. That's, yeah, I love I'm it. Not that good. Absolutely yeah. <laughs> love it. Well, thank you so much, Jane. And if people want to visit your wonderful gardens at Music Valley, when they're on island, just ask at the visitor office and they can find out about it. But you are marked on all the tourist maps, I've noticed. Or check with any of the local tourism operators and they'll get you organised to come and visit. Norfolk Island has been a farming community from its very first days. This was mainly due to necessity. It was too far away and too expensive for fresh produce to sail in. Today there is an amazing diversity of produce grown on isle and as you'll find just about everywhere you eat, the quality is superb. Some eateries are taking that garden fresh one step further. They're literally growing their own menus and turning food miles into food meters by having chef's gardens at the back door. One of my fave venues is Dino's at Bombora's and I'm sitting on the veranda of the beautiful 1880s built property with Dean Dino Bosley. Dean, thanks for having us. Good to be here. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about what you do here at Dino's. We've got a, a restaurant which seats about 40 people. We open three nights a week. Our menu is very, I would regard it as a small menu. What we're trying to achieve here is to have 40 people seated comfortably in our restaurant. The doors open in the summertime so people can walk around the garden, just create a nice vibe for people to have a nice meal here. I'll paint a bit of a picture for the folks of what the property's like. You've resisted the urge to do what is often done, to gut the place and turn it into a big open plan. Yep. The restaurant's very much divided up into small rooms and each of them has a, very much their own eclectic theme and mood. And then there's a beautiful veranda along the front which seats a number of people there. So even though 40 is a relatively large number of people, it's still an intimate experience, which is one yeah. of the lovely things about it. Yeah. One of the interesting things is being a small island, I think the local people that come here to eat, I think they appreciate having a, a little dining room to be in and mm. have a a little bit of anonymity. Yeah. <laughs> but I, actually, I think that nails it. It's it's a dining room experience rather than yes. a restaurant experience. Yes, yes exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you grow a lot of your own food, so walk us through your kitchen garden a little about the diversity of the food plants you have in there. 
Mostly what we're growing is all salad greens, all of our herbs we use here. So this is one of the beauty for me in the kitchen is that I can just go in, into the backyard and just pick herbs as I need them. We grow a lot of fruit here, which is all seasonal, of course. Helen at the moment is planting asparagus. Our artichokes are about to just come into flower. So we've got quite a range. And beside that, we've got bananas and, and roses growing. So it just gives you the, um, the depth of sort of climate that we have here on Norfolk Island, mm. that you can actually have roses growing next to bananas. And then rather than a mainland chef would be working with their providor or with the fruit markets, you instead would be communicating directly with your preferred growers, wouldn't you? So finding out what they have available. And, and we've been fortunate enough, Helen and I have been here since 1995, and we've had basically three growers that have been delivering to our door every week for the last 25 years. Wow, that's incredible. It is, it's, a, it's amazing especially delivered to the door yeah. and and they're bringing us the best of what they have so even when they're bringing me fresh potatoes they're all cleaned like they're really looking after their products yeah. I mean that's a part of our success and it's the same with our local meat one of our local purveyors he is bringing us local ribeye on the bone which is just beautiful. Mm. And a shin veal cut, which we use for osabuku. I have two fishermen that bring fish to me every Thursday and Saturday. We never freeze fish here. It's always fresh. I have another fisherman that's smoking kingfish for me, which we are turning into a very good seller, which is proving to be a very good seller, a little smoked fish king, kingfish pate. That just has to be on the menu now. We, we don't actually put it on the menu, but we have it as a special. Yeah. And it's just, people love it. My dad used to have an expression. He described himself as chief cook and bottle washer. Do you sort of end up as head chef and a head gardener? <laughs> um, pretty much my gardening is looking after our chooks because we move our chooks around. We have a chook dome. We first saw this book 20 years ago. A lady did it for a PhD in permaculture. So it's a chook dome which we made. We have eight chooks in there. All of our kitchen scraps go in there. And then I do the lawns and fill it full of the grass clippings and they are just like little chook tractors they just mulch it all up and we leave them there for a month and we turn it over and once we move them to the next spot we usually have a fruit tree in between the spots so we can move up to a fruit tree so the fruit tree is getting all the goodies as well and then once we've moved it after two days it's ready to plant out and Helen is has the green thumb she does all the planting she does a lot of companion planting and with our garden, we don't use any pesticides. If something gets eaten, we just leave that little area. We don't use any pesticides. What we do, we let the chooks out at four o'clock each afternoon and they'll go around and usually clean up the pests. Yeah. And they give us these beautiful golden eggs, which Helen uses for the licorice ice cream. Like it's just perfect. And I use it for my mayonnaise. We do a, a local goat's cheese and gorgonzola souffle, which we use the eggs for. It's just, it's a dream really for a chef to be able to do that. It must present some challenges to a degree because you can't just say, oh, well, I'll go to a different supplier and get some fresh broccoli or whatever the case may be. Basically, if it's not available, it's off the menu. So you must have to be pretty flexible at times yeah. with your offering. Yes, um, we'll walk into the local supermarket here and if we see something, like you say, some fresh broccolini or, or something like that, we'll grab it. I use things like the local ribeye on the bone I'll keep that as a special. And if I see some nice broccolini or some nice cherry tomatoes or some nice zucchini, I can just use that as a special for the day. Mm. 
And that's basically how we do our menu with our specials. And we're lucky that we have a lot of friends that um, are growing good vegetables as well. So we're picking avocados from people's gardens, limes, lemons, oranges, bananas, pawpaws. And I, and I have to say, the avocados on the island are the most amazing avocados. Well, you know, since travelling back to Australia and New Zealand and to other overseas countries, the food does look amazing, like it looks unbelievable, but the taste in the food here is something a little different, I think. Yeah, yeah. There's a greater richness and depth to the taste of the fruit and veggies, and I think that's what's often described as nutrient density because of the fact that, that flavour is nutrition, so food is more nutritionally dense because it's been grown properly yeah. in, in quality soils, and that's giving you those wonderful ingredients yeah. to work with, which, you know, as a chef, must just be a dream. And I think a classic example is the local banana. I don't know how many varieties are here, but people aren't worried if they're a bit speckledy. They're just full of flavour. You're not going to taste a better banana than here on Norfolk Island. No, absolutely. I, yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. That must be really the chef's dream to be able to know that you're using things that you can select and pick right at their, their peak. So you're not having to sacrifice any quality because something's not quite ripe or it's overripe, you can pick it and use it right when it's ready to go. It gives you a lot of confidence as a mm. chef. I think like anyone that's in any sort of business, it's all about your preparation. And if you're starting with amazing ingredients, all I have to do is keep my wits about me and try and put out a good product, you know, really. <laughs> Actually, it's, it's funny, a, a strange comparison, but I took a beautiful photo of just above Anson Bay, one of the wonderful beaches here on Norfolk. Somebody said, oh, what an amazing photo. And I said, it's almost impossible to take a bad photo of it. It's, it's such an yeah. amazing spot. So when you start from that foundation of something that's already the best of the best, it does certainly make it a lot easier. I think, I think Norfolk as well falls into that category where you see a lot of photos of Norfolk Island and they can be doctored in any way. But when you're actually here on the island and you see the light, it's better than the photographs. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, you can't say that about a lot of places. I couldn't agree more. You sometimes find yourself just staring at something thinking, this is amazing. This is real. How can this be so incredibly, spectacularly beautiful? I encounter that myself on the island all the time. And maybe some of that's got to do with its isolation. Where it is, you know, we're an hour and a half away from New Zealand. We're two hours away from Australia by plane. I think that might give us a different sort of light, makes, really. Makes things, makes things a, a little special, yeah. yeah. Hey, do you have a couple of kitchen garden tips for the folks out there? Things if they're thinking about having that patch at the back door ready to go in the kitchen. Have you got a couple of little tips for them? I, I think one with herbs especially. You have to be really careful picking your herbs. You want to tip your herbs to start with. Something like basil, for example. You want to tip the flowers off the basil before you start picking them. So it allows it to regenerate and double in its size basically. I've been really bad at this in, in the past <laughs> and Helen, my partner, just screws her head up and that is a big tip. Just be really careful how you pick things because they'll damage so quickly. I have discovered a, a trick for covering yourself when you do that. You just say, oh no, I'm letting it go to flower for the bees. Yeah, well, we, <laughs> we do do that. We do do that. And, and I must admit, um, if I need herbs, I'll ask Helen to pick them because it's it's better for both of us. Yeah. <laughs> As you'll see, when you come for a walk around the garden, that's what we do. We leave a lot of gardens just for the bees. We let the herbs grow to flower. We let the vegetables grow to flower. And we pick the seed from it 
our garden's full of bees. It's a healthy sign. It is. It's a very healthy sign. Well, Dean, thank you so much. It's been fantastic having a chat. I will be back soon for a meal because I never miss coming here when I'm on aisle. And if you're visiting Norfolk Island, make sure you look up Dino's at Bumboras. And I only have one last thing to add. Homemade licorice ice cream. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and can I just say, a lot of visitors to the island make one mistake with our restaurant. When you arrive, make a booking because we book out very, very quickly here. A lot of people leave us for their last night and we're full and it's, we don't like turning people down. Don't be disappointed. Book early. <laughs> book early. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Dean. Awesome. I hope you've enjoyed our Norfolk Island special episodes as much as we've enjoyed bringing them to you. For a tiny place, it certainly has more than its fair share of fascinating stories and characters. I find it's always interesting to watch first-time visitors when I take my tour groups. It's a sort of place that is something different to everyone. For some, it's all about the scenery, others the natural environment. Some just love the tranquility or the food or the sustainability or the history. I see it like a richly woven tapestry and everyone finds their own little thread. We've loved having you along on this journey and if you've enjoyed the trip, click subscribe in your podcast store of choice so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, don't forget to give us a rating and leave comments to help others find us. Of course, if you want to indulge in garden delights between episodes, then grab yourself the latest issue of Better Homes and Gardens magazine. Don't forget you'll find us on Instagram too. Just search BHG Oz. And if you'd like to drop us a line, because we love hearing from you, you can give us some feedback, ask us a garden question, or just say hi by sending an email with Garden Better in the title. You'll find the link in the episode info. Until next time, happy garden travels. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.